From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the top theme park news from each week. Coming up, Disney has a new affordable housing development, Dave & Buster's is acquiring main event entertainment, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance has a new travel agency, and Area 15 is coming to Orlando. All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. If you want haunt-specific news, check back in our feed tomorrow or subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at the link in our show notes. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip. I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And Disney is developing affordable housing. <laughs> oh, look at that. Uh, <laughs> Disney is settling, uh, setting aside close to 80 acres of land on which to establish a brand new affordable housing development. The development, which will be in the southwest Orange County near the Flamingo Crossings retail and service area, as well as nearby schools, will be available to qualifying members of the general public, including cast members. The goal currently is for the neighborhood to consist of over 1,300 housing units. Well, so, I mean, I know they've been working on this, for, obviously working on this for a while, but I do find it very interesting that they didn't quite get the jump on Universal, who had announced the same yeah. thing that we talked about last week, um, and also that they announced their, uh, oh, we won't call it affordable, their their higher-end uh, mm -hmm. housing development. So it's like... Um, what what do what are big theme parks doing? They are expanding into the world of of land ownership and uh, and property management for you know and it's it's a great form of diversification I suppose. But I think um, we were talking a little bit before the show, and I think the real reason uh, and probably one of the most beneficial reasons here is this helps them with what staffing that incredible staffing challenge that we've been talking about um, since you know the beginning of the pandemic and now coming out of the pandemic, it's actually even worse, I think, because um, people have yeah. decided to move on to other things. So um, it sounds like this just might be another way for Disney to entice people to work for them. And uh, it's, it's what Disney has always done very well, which I kind of call the company store mentality that uh, yes, you make money from Disney and then you pay it back to pay for your housing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's very interesting. Um, I'm I will be curious as it pans out. I'll be curious to see how many uh, how many of the units are actually lived in by people who are not affiliated with the Disney parks. Mm. We'll see. Yeah, I, I would say I'm sure that that Disney is rankled over uh, having the narrative taken from them. Because uh, they always like to control the narrative, but you know, mm -hmm. having Universal definitely took the narrative away from them. But it's their own fault. I mean, you know, I don't know. But well, they could have. <laughs> I mean, Disney could have flip flopped their announcements too. Correct. Yeah, they just and, and to be, do it and to be completely honest, nobody in Orlando. There's nothing in Orlando that is secretive to people who are working in the industry in Orlando. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there were people who knew about this before the announcement. There always are, um, no matter how hard they try to keep it secret and quiet. Um, there are so many people who are um, invested in, involved in, or hired by multiple parks um, in the city of Orlando that usually this kind of information comes out. Um, and maybe they, you know, it's quite possible that if they were really, if let's let's assume that this was planned, that they wanted to see what is going to be the what's going to happen to Universal when they announce, and just in case there was going to be some sort of negative blowback. 
Um, who knows? You know, because I could see I could see someone saying, "Look, here's a, a multi billion dollar uh, company that's coming out as say uh, as a slumlord." You know, I could yeah. see that there, there could have been a really negative take on this, and I, I don't think we heard any of that, or at least I wasn't aware of any um, with Universal. So, who knows? They may have done it intentionally. Yeah, that's so possible. I guess, I guess in a way, I, they were controlling the narrative. I think overall, though, it, it it's still back to the staffing issue, or they, that, that's how I read this. I read this. This is not their first a community like this, of course, and of course, um, you know that is an integral part of the Disney college program as well is their housing subsidized housing. Um, but I see it much more as a staffing issue and I see it as a direct through line because right now housing, the housing market is, is very difficult and it is and one of the places it is difficult is in Orlando. It's very difficult. The prices are high. The demand is low, et cetera, et cetera. It shows every sign of just getting worse. <laughs> and then now with interest rates going up, you know, the, the mortgage, the mortgages for new homeowners are going up. So you need significant uh, wealth already built up to really be able to do home ownership. And this to me is Disney's counterweight to that, which is that they have a lot of staff that needs a place to live. And so if, so basically, when you're looking at, at, at your, your staff pay rates and your affordability, right, one way is to pay the staff more so they can afford to live and they can pay stuff. The other strategy is to take the expenses that your staff has and lower them. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can try either way, right? That's the idea of, of subsidized benefits like this. So this seems to be a shot at that angle. Where, but I think we need to clarify this is not specifically for Disney cast members. Sure, it's not for Disney cast members. Remind me who lives near Disney. <laughs> well, like, I mean, wait a minute. How many how many cast members do they have in that immediate area? Sixty thousand. No, I I don't misunderstand. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I think this is I think that's exactly what what they're thinking. But I just think we need to clarify that you know I could I could also see living in the the I four corridor at one end of it, but still, um, I could also see that this would be very appealing to the not-so-wealthy Disney files who yeah. um, would love to be able to just say, yes, I write my my rent check to Disney. You know, I, I think that would be something that would get them really excited. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll be curious to see how this... I'll be curious to see how this pans out. I, like I said, I want to see how much of it ends up being um, Disney employees. Because, to be completely honest, when, um, when Celebration first opened... Um, it was mostly populated by Disney executives. Um, so it, uh, this is, you know, is this is this celebration 3.0? You know, we had we had celebration. We had the 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 new curated um, new curated housing area that we talked about two weeks ago, I believe it was, and then this one now. So who knows? I'm curious. Like I said, I'm curious. They're not saying you can't live there if you're not a Disney employee, yeah. but I'm curious to see how it pans out. Well, our next story is also in the staffing realm. It is that the Columbus Zoo is raising their minimum wage. The Columbus Zoo and Aquarium Parks will be raising the minimum wage for 95% of its workforce beginning immediately. The wage increased to $13 per hour at the zoo, the wilds, the safari golf club, and the Zambuzi Bay. The goal is to have the minimum wage up to 15 per hour by 2024. 
And the increase is over the state's minimum wage, and the state's minimum wage is $9.30. In the statement, the zoo said the increase will benefit 95% of the park's current seasonal employees. The zoo is also also looking to fill 1,700 more seasonal positions. <laughs> Imagine that. So, um, so let's see. Let's break this down. There, uh, the the state minimum wage is nine thirty. They've put their minimum wage uh, up to what is it? Thirteen, uh, 13 but up to fifteen by twenty twenty four. And they're doing this to benefit the ninety five percent of the park's current seasonal employees. Oh, by the way, we're looking to fill seventeen hundred additional positions. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's you know. They got to do something. They got to do something. It's and everybody's in this same boat. Everybody's having the same challenge. Um, more people. They need. They need more. Pe- more people to get things done because again, the floodgates have opened and things are coming back stronger than they were when the pandemic shut everything down. So you got to find ways. And it's interesting because I I think that this is actually leading us to a place that we probably should have been edging our way towards. Um, before the pandemic, where we should have, you know, been thinking long term, looking down the road, going, you know what, we're going to need people, and it's getting more and more difficult to to get people who who aren't um, who aren't eager to be their own bosses, who aren't eager to be uh, entrepreneurial and work remotely, um, and then I think. It's just proven to everybody that they don't, they can all work in different ways. I think everybody's found that out through the pandemic. So it's yeah. just, it, it basically, it didn't really change anything. It just accelerated where we should have been going anyway, which was trying to figure out how do we make people want to work for us, which I think should always be a company's goal. Yeah. Attraction is a need people and they need, those people need places to stay and they need to be able to afford rent to work for the company basically. Mm-hmm. That's, well, and, that's and the, the places to stay, you know, the places to stay. Uh, I, back in back in my days at Bush Gardens, they we the, the park did multiple um, had multiple opportunities to bring people in from other countries. Actually, um, yeah. who were having there were in their own countries, they were having trouble uh, finding work. And and uh, while I was there, they did two two different huge uh, influxes of folks. They provided them with housing. They provided them with uh, compensation. They provided them with travel to get them over here and provided them with travel to get them back home again. Um, So, you know, this is the same idea, only not shipping them from another country. They're just trying to draw them in from uh, somewhere, hopefully close by here in the U.S. Although I could see if if the package was sweet enough that frontline people would be coming in from a little further away than normal. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Some updates that we didn't have in the show notes because they're not quite yet, but they are related to what Scott said, is that IAPA is, of course, still uh, lobbying for the visa program to be kind of opened up, which we have talked about as being a, a little bit of a, an issue for some attractions mm-hmm. that rely on uh, that workforce coming in. And also, uh, they are also still lobbying for a relief fund for smaller attractions like this <laughs> to, to, to still do a payroll benefits uh, from post-pandemic. So, that stuff is still not passed yet, but they're still working on it in a larger sense because because this is this is a complicated problem. And as we mentioned many weeks ago, the Im- entertainment sector has not quite seen as much inflation as other pieces of the economy. A big question mark 
For that is going to be, again, the supply-demand thing. As demand increases as we get into the summer and to the fall months, um, if supply does not increase, as in if there aren't enough staff to to create more supply, when that demand increases, you might, again, see a sharper rise in the cost that we're having to charge people. Uh, and a big piece of that is, are you going to be able to get in enough staff members to increase your capacity? And how much are you going to have to pay those staff members? And that's all going to potentially lead to uh, in, an increase in the cost of you know inflation for the entertainment sector. But we don't know because it's a complicated problem. It has all these elements to it. The elements of how much is housing for your frontline staff, which is how much they then need to make, which is then how much you need to pay them, which is, uh, but then also the visa program, how many people are coming in to be able to fill low wage jobs and are you able to put them up in hotels? Like there's all these, each attraction almost has a little different piece of this. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the, the, the idea of bringing people in from, from outside the country really only affects the the very yes, top not everybody tier. it's yeah. a very top tier of the parks i mean you know fecs could they couldn't even think about bringing in people from micronesia that's just simply not going to happen um but i think that i think that the bottom line the real the true bottom line is what something's going to have to give either the floodgates are going to have to open so that all of a sudden you have um more yeah. more people or Everyone is going to have to start paying or or compensating. I won't use necessarily just pay. We're going to have to find ways to compensate, whether that is in quality of life, whether that is in finance, whether that is in housing. Um, or you're going to have to limit either the product or the number of people you let in. I mean, you know, there are... We, we go back to... Um, well, I won't mention it by name, but there is a Florida attraction that is that for years, for years and years, has been notorious for having the same people operate one area of the attraction as another area of the attraction as another area of the attraction. They basically just follow the guests around mm. and open things as they go. So uh, what's going to end up happening is if you obviously don't have enough people, you're either going to have to limit the number of guests you can bring in or you're going to have to limit the amount of offerings you have at your park yeah. and you're going to have to rethink how you do things you know there it's it's not unusual for the entertainment side to have show times there may also be windows of operation time for uh large attractions because they don't have people to run them you know yeah. everybody's everybody's been talking about this with with staffing at at the airport and uh you know with with airlines and every time you see a flight canceled some of them right now may have something to do with weather, but I would venture to say that if they were fully staffed, there would be significantly fewer cancellations because they just can't get, what usually ends up happening is yes, it's weather related, but it means they're trying to get a crew in from somewhere else. They're jumping around from attraction to attraction. They can't get that crew in in time because of weather. So that means that the flight that was going out with that crew is no longer going out. So again, yeah. we have to continue to, uh, don't don't lock in how you're going to do things yet. Keep exploring how much further can we go? What are the other ways we can do it? And as Philip said, it's different for every single park. Um, some parks, are it's much more important to bring in people from outside the country. Some parks, it's much more important to offer a high pay rate, pay rate so that they can be more competitive in their own local market. And for some folks, it's very important for them to bring in uh, or offer housing. So don't... I don't think we're at a point yet where it's wise to say this is our our only track. This is the only thing that's going to make a solution because 
I, I still think there's some change that's going to happen. And I still don't think anybody knows exactly what that one magic bullet is yet. Yeah. I just wanted to underline, of course, that it is underlyingly, this is kind of the definition of a supply and demand yes. issue, even though it doesn't, maybe we don't see it that way from being inside the industry. You know, we see it as we need to get staff members and other, but like when you take a step back and look at the whole entertainment sector, it's a supply demand issue because if our supply is our capacity, our ability to bring in guests and more guests to, through the experience, that's our supply. Our supply is impacted directly by the amount of staff that we have. We have less staff, we have less cap capacity. That means that we have less supply. And if you multiply that over every thing that people do for entertainment, <laughs> it's, it's a big, it's a big lack of supply. And as we've talked about, the demand is there and it's going to be strong. So that that's really to Scott's point. Each person has to figure it out and figure out how they capitalize it. But just overall, that's kind of what I, what I want to point to is just the absolutely. Overall. And, and if you take supply and demand and turn it on its head, um, the demand as as park owners, as attraction owners, uh, your supply of incoming staff is yeah. low. So, yeah. and the demand, you need X number of people to run your attraction. So therefore, what happens when there is a low supply and a high demand? Prices go up. And that's yeah, exactly, exactly what we're seeing here. By providing housing, by increasing wages, by increasing quality of life options, those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. So it's, it is exactly what, what Philip is saying. It's supply and demand, but it's supply and demand in a way that we don't normally look at it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. we're not talking supply and demand for your company. We're talking supply and demand for you and your, and your staffing. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, another big trend that we've been talking about recently, of course, is the acquisitions. This is another, uh, I guess, a big macro business trend that maybe we're not seeing it as such in the industry, but you, if you, again, look out and widen your lens, you do see that uh, in changes, whenever there's economic turmoil like there is now, you see the pendulum, the pendulum always swings back and forth. You, you see companies that purchase other companies to get bigger, to get higher advantages, you know, and then sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, cough, cough, Oak Island, right? And then that kind of creates um, smaller opportunities. So you get boutique shops as you get people that are honing in on, on uh, getting larger. So a recent example from this past week is Dave & Buster's is on track to acquire Main Event Entertainment for $835 million. Main Event Entertainment has 50 locations nationwide offering entertainment such as state-of-the-art, bowling, laser tag, arcade games, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, Dave & Buster's is going to acquire the FECs of another company. But that company also operates some theme parks. So that company is going to sell off its FECs to Dave & Buster's, and they're going to use that money to make their theme parks more competitive. <laughs> so, so essentially, it's a, it's a same example that we've been seeing in other places, but just um, in our space of someone leaning more into their offerings, so becoming more and more of an FEC expert, and somebody selling off their FECs to hone in on becoming a better theme park provider. Yeah, it's it's. It, I call it the garage sale concept. I mean, I'm sorry to make it so so base, but when we needed some extra cash, what do we do? We look at what we have, figure out what we need to sell off or what we can sell off, whether that is hard goods or stocks or whatever it is. Um, how can we liquidate our assets so that we can get that that cash flow to focus on what's really important to us? Um, for me, it happens every time I change a, ho a hobby. 
It's like, okay, what can I sell off from the last hobby so that I can finance the next one? Um, but that's exactly what's happening here with, with Dave and Buster's and main event. And, you know, just to build upon the, the pendulum swinging back and forth, what ends up happening is it looks great and things just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they yeah. get to a point where they're too large to handle. So they start collapsing and getting smaller. And then other people look at it and go, oh, well, I can swipe that up because that's a great property there. And they get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's an ebb and flow. And this is uh, this seems to be a time when there's a lot of, uh, well, flowing, I guess, not a lot of ebbing. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. You know, Six Flags has done this, too. You know, you mentioned Oak Island, and and Six Flags went and bought up a gazillion little tiny parks and, and mm-hmm. then ended up closing, not closing, but uh, either selling off or redeveloping some of those properties. Um, I'm thinking of, like, Geauga Lake and, and, and those kinds of smaller parks. So... Um, yeah, it's this is this is again nothing new. Um, it is interesting to see it in the FEC realm, and I yeah. think and I think this actually kind of makes sense because if main events' true desire is to focus on their theme park holdings, um, why not sell off their FECs to one of the companies that is clearly the one of the leaders in the FEC world, and that way, you know, Dave and Buster's it's a win-win. Dave and Buster's can grow, and and main event gets the the money they need to focus on their next new hobby if it were me yeah yeah yeah, yeah we, we, again like scott said we'll see um i think to underline here is just that more of this is going to come in the next uh, year ish few years you're going to see more acquisitions we'll uh, just underline that because that's kind of the trend right now um nobody should be surprised um anyway so our next story is kind of also about uh, a little bit of diversification from attractions uh, and that is that the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance has launched a new travel venture. The San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance has a new way for allies to connect with wildlife and explore exotic locations around the world while helping save species and support local communities at the same time. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance Adventures, <laughs> a new sustainable travel business, provides opportunities to visit some of the most awe-inspiring places on the planet, guided by top conservative scientists, wildlife experts, and photographers. Each adventure supports the nonprofit's organization's critical conservation work to save species, and every trip is 100% carbon neutral. Each adventure includes unique, authentic accommodations. All meals from the first day through the final day are included, as are most gratuities, activity, and entrance fees, taxes, permits, and services. So, so not a new concept by any means, but essentially it is a zoo that is creating a travel program for their top fans, I assume, that, you know, agree with the, um, with the mission of the park and they're, they're creating a great experience. This is not a new thing, but it is something worth highlighting because it's a concept that Scott and I have talked about before. And that is that you, as attractions, we each have our zone of expertise. And this is a way for someone to use that zone of expertise and to diversify into it. So that's something every attraction can do. We haven't talked about this in a while, but it while everyone is looking at ways to diversify, this is a good example. And we saw examples of this from the pandemic, but I think we kind of forgot about it as we're trying to mm-hmm. get back to to business as usual, you know. But other examples are the Knott's Berry Farm Boysenberry Festival. You know, their expertise is in the Boysenberry because they started as a farm, of course, like an actual farm like a farm stand making boysenberry pies. And so they are selling boysenberry trees and doing boysenberry classes on that. That all makes sense. It makes sense because it's within their zone of expertise. I think where attractions can go wrong on this is by 
thinking their zone of expertise is one thing when it's not actually that thing. Yeah, I think I think that can be a challenge. Um, you know, like you said, Philip, this is this is nothing new. Um, zoos and aquariums and museums and uh, have been doing this for a very long time. Um, I think the, I think what it, where it actually helps them the most is it gives them something to talk about from a marketing standpoint. Because I think number I think the percentage of guests who go to uh, the San Diego Zoo will the majority of guests this is not something they'd be interested in. They they want to go and have a good time, get their basic knowledge of uh, the zoo and its experiences. Um, I think this is for a very small percentage up on the top, but. I love the fact that they are offering something for that tiny percentage. Um, this mm -hmm. is their, you know, this is their um, their Galactic Star Cruiser. This is their, yes. this is the the same thing um, yes. that uh, Galactic Star Cruiser is for either the upper echelon of of Star Wars fans or the upper echelon of Disney fans. So, um, yeah, I, it gives them something to talk about. It gives them another velvet rope, and hopefully, it as you say, diversifies. Um, their product a little bit. Who knows? It could take off, and they may find ways to make it uh, more affordable. Um, I will. I will tell you. And we talked about this at, at about a, a different um, uh, a different attraction. But when it comes down to having zero carbon footprint, that's um, that takes effort. That takes mm -hmm. effort on the part of the people who are actually participating in it, and people who want to do luxury tourism and ecotourism they don't necessarily understand that. So I, I'm curious to see how that pans out. I hope it works out for them well, because it's something that I definitely agree with. But I too, my, I, I find that I myself do not have a zero uh, emissions carbon footprint because it's an awful lot of work. So <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see where it goes. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not dissing them. I'm just trying to have a little dose of reality here so that people will recognize going, that's great. Why doesn't everybody try to do that? Because it's hard work is why. And um, so I hope that I hope that this again gives them something to talk about, gives the uh, the zoo a shot in the arm when it comes to uh, generating the right revenue and generating revenue in the right way. And um, yeah, so it's another it's another unique way of diversification. Well, our next kind of set of stories, depending on how many we get to, has to do with new openings and other diversifications of audience. Um, the, the big news, of course, this week was that the Cosmic Rewind at Epcot has an opening date, and that opening date is May 27th of this year, so in a little bit over a month, which is, I think, sooner than I anticipated, but I suppose it does make sense with the whole um, summer crowd thing. But, well, and, and who knows how long it's actually been ready-ready, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, there have been there have been many opens openings that have happened post pandemic that were actually just well we don't really need to open anything right now because we are already doing really well because people just want to get back outside so we're going to yeah. delay the opening a little bit more who knows um, but uh, great yay a new uh, a new attraction at Epcot yay yeah. <laughs> and again just kind of underlines everything we've been talking about it's a them moving their IPs you know kind of taking pieces of the old concepts and just leaning more into IPs and uh, bringing a more like attraction style to the other parks and blah, blah, blah. So it's the same, same old hat. Hey, it's same old hat, but uh, okay. Area 15 also is expanding to Orlando in 2024. This was an older story, but we didn't get to cover it yet, so we'll try to today. The purpose-built facility will feature distinct attractions, interactive art installations, and groundbreaking technology, along with unique retail bars and dining outlets, an ever-changing roster of live events, limited time art ex exhibitions, and shows that push the boundaries will also be highlights of the venue. 
uh, Area 15 was built for today's social dynamics, said Winston Fisher. I think he's the former uh, CEO. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, sophisticated customers. Sophisticated customers, Scott, they're gravitating towards artful new forms of entertainment where the lines between commerce and experience economy blur. Area 15 Orlando is the ideal city for the our second location, providing an ecosystem where innovative design, best-in-class attractions, integrated storytelling, monumental art installations, extraordinary technology, and distinctive retail all thrive together. Okay, I'm sorry. sorry. It's a, sounds like you're running for office now, Philip. Uh, I, uh, I can't. I can't. It sounds like this guy's running for office. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Well, no, it's it's clearly it's I mean it's clearly market speak. Um, it, yeah, but 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 again. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. This is this is despite the the hype the the extended hyperboles here. Um, I think that I think that it's important to recognize that everything right now is leaning towards. You know, we only thought that we were leaning towards quote unquote immersive entertainment. Um, I, the one phrase that I do like is um, blurring the lines between uh, commerce and experience. I, I think that I think that is something that. Um, has has again not a new idea. It's just becoming the norm now. Um, it's becoming what is happening. Just kind of eliminating using theatrical terms. We're eliminating the fourth wall. Um, yeah. We're not making it so. Here's where you sit and watch something. And I tell this to my clients all the time. I'm trying to design experiences for my clients where they don't, where the guests don't sit and watch something, but instead they do something. They interact with something. They participate in something. They are an integral part of something. And I, I think that, you know, we've seen this obviously in grand scales like Area 15, but like if you've watched any of the award shows recently, just a simple, the, the simple change in set design. If you watched either the Oscars, no, we're not going to talk about that. Way too many people have talked yeah, about that. Yeah. The slap heard around the world. We're not going to talk about it. Anyway, uh, but whether you watch the Oscars or the Grammys or whatever, they've eliminated basically the stage and they're, they're making it so that... Um, they're at least creating the illusion that those people who are in the audience, granted they're all the, the A-listers, but the people who are in the quote-unquote audience aren't sitting in seats watching. They are yeah. literally steps away. There is no separation by stage. Um, there, I, I thought the Grammys, the Grammy set design was brilliant in the fact that it was just a series of steps. So it's like, oh, I can go upstairs and I can be standing up there next to John Legend, or I can actually, John Legend was right in the middle of the tables. So uh, the idea is breaking down those breaking down those barriers and those walls so that everybody feels as though they are part of the action they are yeah. uh, integral to what is happening not watching so they're no longer passive bystanders um, they are now active participants yeah and I, I would just add that uh, again to just underscore the pendulum thing um, this is a pendulum it's been swinging in this direction for quite a while in fact this press release I think, a more accurate way would have been to say, uh, like, Meow Wolf brings standard of entertainment to a different place. Yeah. As in, as in, like, there's actually nothing here to say. Like, this is normative now. I don't know why they're blah, blah, blahing it to make it sound like it's something new. It's not something new. It's been happening for years. And I'm just going to say, in, like, 5, 10 years, it's going to go back the opposite way. Like, in 5, 10 years, when everything is quote unquote immersive and there's no fourth wall, you're going to see new innovative ways, Scott, of interacting with people. It's called the fourth wall. Have you heard of this thing? In 10 years, we're going to be like, Scott, there's a new wall. There's four of them now. And you put it up and then people don't have to be stressed anymore about knowing knowing what to say to an actor. They can just sit and relax. You know, there's this new thing called sitting and relaxing for entertainment. 
and get it's crazy. Well, yes, I see, and I and I actually think we've got a long way to go before we get back to that because I think the next thing that's going to happen is, hey, Philip, here's the entire cast that's going to perform the entire piece just for you, and know, so you know yeah. it'll it'll be even in more in the metaverse, in the metaverse, and then it'll, yeah, it, who knows, who knows? Well, again, that means that we've got gobs to talk about in future shows because right now we are out of time for this one. So we hope uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to us yammer on, and we hope that it has raised more questions than given you answers because that's really the point of our show. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you tell everybody about it. Until next week, uh, on behalf of my co-host, Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and the uh, Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson with Scott Swenson Creative Development, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. Oh!